Welcome to Rainbow Rundown, where we cover entertainment and news stories from across the LGBT community. Mondays, you're on the Left of Straight Network. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show's Rainbow Rundown, where we use a little AI to recap the top news and entertainment stories of interest to the LGBTQ community over the last week or upcoming one. It's October 2nd, 2023 and here are the stories that hit our hot button this week. Enjoy and keep checking back each day for new content here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. Tomorrow we play 5 Questions with where our last week's guests answer five more random and silly questions that didn't make it into the full interview. Wednesdays we team up with the queer-centric in Spokane, Washington, for Bears of a Certain Age. Then on Thursdays and Fridays, the Left of Straight show brings you interviews with celebrities and personalities from the areas of entertainment, foodies, books, music and advocacy. You can support our shows by buying us a $5 cup of coffee on Instagram at leftofstra 8 or at our website at www.leftofstr8radio.com or at www.buymeacoffee.com slash leftofstr8. Now relax and enjoy our weekly rundown. Our first story today is that U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein, known for her groundbreaking roles in American politics, has died at age 90. News outlets like television station KGO of San Francisco and the New York Times confirmed the news of her death. The California Democrat was a pioneer for women, becoming San Francisco's first female Board of Supervisors president and mayor and later one of California's first female U.S. senators. During her time in public service, Feinstein championed women's and LGBTQ rights. In a time of crisis for San Francisco's gay community, she took the politically risky step of closing the city's bathhouses in an effort to combat the spread of AIDS. Under her leadership, San Francisco General Hospital became a global standard setter for HIV AIDS healthcare. On women's issues, Feinstein was instrumental in reauthorizing the Violence Against Women Act and authored the 2022 Respect for Marriage Act, federalizing marriage equality. She became the first woman in California to win a major party's gubernatorial nomination and was the first woman to chair the Senate Rules and Intelligence Committees. Feinstein was also a powerhouse in women's advocacy. She was the first woman to lead several Senate committees and was instrumental in renewing the Violence Against Women Act. Next, Federal Appeals Court upholds gender-affirming care bans in Tennessee and Kentucky. Advocacy organizations said the decision ignored the extensive evidence from the actual medical experts. On Thursday, the 6th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in Cincinnati, Ohio, which hears appeals from both states, voted 2-1 to one to uphold the anti-trans laws, Reuters reports. Chief Judge Jeffrey Sutton and Judge Amul Thapar rejected arguments made on behalf of the families of transgender children that the laws discriminate against transgender people based on sex, violating the Constitution's Equal Protection Clause. In her dissent, Judge Helene White said that the laws cannot pass constitutional muster and intrude on the well-established province of parents to make medical decisions for their minor children.
Tennessee Republicans passed the state's SB 1 in February and it was signed into law by Governor Bill Lee, R., in early March. In addition to banning Tennessee doctors from providing gender-affirming care, including puberty blockers and hormone therapy, to anyone under the age of 18, it also requires trans young people who are already receiving gender-affirming care to end their treatment by March 31, 2024, effectively forcing them to detransition. Kentucky's SB 150 passed in March after state Republicans overrode a veto by Governor Andy Bashir, D. Every major medical organization in the U.S. has recognized that gender-affirming health care, which can include puberty blockers and hormone therapy, is evidence-based, safe, effective, and can be medically necessary to treat gender dysphoria in young people. However, in his Thursday ruling, Sutton wrote that gender dysphoria is a relatively new diagnosis with ever-shifting approaches to care over the last decade or two. Under these circumstances, it is difficult for anyone to be sure about predicting the long-term consequences of abandoning age limits of any sort for these treatments. The ACLU of Tennessee notes that similar bans on gender-affirming care for minors have been blocked by district courts in Arkansas, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, and Indiana, while a federal court in Arkansas struck down that state's ban in June. Our next story tell us that the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families is proposing a rule aimed at assuring that LGBTQ plus and intersex youth in foster care are placed in supportive homes, the federal government announced Wednesday. The proposed rule would require that every state's child welfare agency ensure that LGBTQI plus children in their care are placed in foster homes where they will be protected from mistreatment related to their sexual orientation or gender identity, where their caregivers have received special training on how to meet their needs, and where they can access the services they need to thrive, says a White House fact sheet. The rule also would require that caregivers for LGBTQI plus children are properly and fully trained to provide for the needs of the child related to the child's self-identified sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression, adds an HHS press release. The proposed rule will be published online and will be subject to 60 days of public comment before becoming final. It is in keeping with an executive order President Joe Biden issued directing HHS to protect LGBTQ plus and intersex youth in the foster care, where they are overrepresented because of family rejection and abuse. But they often face mistreatment in foster care as well, and the new rule is aimed at preventing that. This is a historic package that underlines the Biden-Harris administration's steadfast commitment to putting children's well-being first, HHS Secretary Xavier Becerra said in the release. This package allows kin to step into a critical caretaker role, proposes necessary legal representation to keep families together, and a safe and accepting environment in which children can thrive. The administration is providing vital resources to remove barriers for child welfare agencies to provide supports necessary to accomplish that mission. It has put out a final regulation that allows a child welfare agency to adopt simpler licensing or approval standards for foster homes that include one of the child's extended family members, such as grandparents, 
aunts, and uncles. It also requires that states provide these caregivers with the same level of financial assistance that any other foster care provider receives. In our never-ending discrimination news, Meta, the parent company of Facebook, Instagram, and Threads, has allowed an anti-LGBTQ plus group to spread hate speech and misinformation about LGBTQ plus people on its platforms in violation of the company's policies for over a year, according to a new report from Media Matters for America. The report, published by the media watchdog organization on Tuesday, details dozens of instances in which gays against groomers use its Facebook, Instagram, and Threads accounts to post anti-LGBTQ plus content, including false claims that trans people are mentally ill and that LGBTQ plus people embrace pedophilia, as well as misinformation about gender-affirming care and the false groomer narrative propagated by the anti-LGBTQ plus right. All of this content appears to clearly violate Meta's policies prohibiting hate speech, harassment and misinformation, and yet it has remained on the company's platforms. As the report notes, Meta has also vowed to label false and misleading information as such and deprioritize it in feeds. But the company has failed to do so on gays against groomers' posts. The report notes that Instagram in particular has a well-documented history of failing to moderate harmful content, especially when it comes to attacks on the LGBTQ community. It's an age-old problem that we've seen with Meta, Media Matters Research Director Kayla Gogarty told The Advocate. Gogarty noted changes Elon Musk has made to Twitter, rebranded as X, since taking over the company last year. Last December, the company disbanded its Trust and Safety Council, which advised on the removal of hateful content. Launched in June 2022, Gays Against Groomers purports to be a grassroots coalition dedicated to protecting children. But as Media Matters reported in February, the group's founder Jamie Michelle and its former chair and co-founder David Leatherwood were pro-Trump operatives employed by right-wing communications firms representing other conservative figures who have attempted to capitalize off of the anti-LGBTQ fervor of the last two years. In January, the Anti-Defamation League described the group as an anti-LGBTQ plus extremist coalition based on its peddling of dangerous and misleading narratives about the LGBTQ plus community. The Southern Poverty Law Center has also has also labeled gays against groomers as an extremist group. Since its June 6, 2022, launch, the group's Instagram account has amassed over 357,000 followers. It has around 39,000 followers on Facebook and over 24,000 followers on Threads. While the group has been kicked off of platforms like Venmo, PayPal, and Google and has been suspended on Twitter multiple times prior to Musk's takeover, Meta's platforms have taken no action against its accounts. In fact, Meta has profited off of ads promoting the false groomer narrative, despite publicly stating that use of the term to attack LGBTQ plus people violates its policies. An August 2022 report from the Center for Countering Digital Hate and the Human Rights Campaign found that the company accepted up to $24,987 for 59 ads promoting the narrative on Facebook and Instagram. Speaking of discrimination, 
three members of an English women's fishing team in England are refusing to compete at the World Championships due to the fact that one of their own teammates is trans. The Shore Angling World Championships will take place in Italy in November, and the board of the sport's governing body, the Angling Trust, has said it will not prevent trans angler Becky Lee Birdwhistle Hodges from applying to compete. 66-year-old team captain Heather told the Daily Mail that the team has already been humiliated with Hodges in their team. She claimed that the 2018 World Championships wasn't a nice situation, mainly because all the other countries wouldn't speak to us. The managers wouldn't speak to our manager. They were all against us. When we went up to collect our medal, nobody clapped and people walked out, Heather said, adding, Although Becky Lee would be an asset to my team, it's unfair on everyone else. And if you win in a situation like that, you can't enjoy the victory, because it feels like you've cheated. Many of the Angling Trust board members don't fish and don't know the sport. A man can cast 150 yards, but I can only cast about 70 yards. Some of the girls can only cast 50 yards. Body strength plays a major part and it gives Becky Lee a lot more water that she can fish in. Trans women, of course, are not men and are often receiving gender-affirming health care that lowers their testosterone levels. A statement from Angling Trust member Jamie Cook affirmed the organization would not change its inclusive policy unless the results of a mandatory review by Sport England require it. All sporting governing bodies within the Sport England family have been obliged to review their diversity and equality policies with regards to who is eligible to fish in the female category of international teams and to strike a balance between safety, fairness, and inclusion, Cook said. Cook also pointed out that angling competitions are often mixed gender. The fact is that the vast majority of competitive angling in this country is in open competitions where male, female, and transgender anglers have the opportunity to fish head-to-head -head against each other in the same contest, that also goes for the vast majority of Angling Trust national championships. In our tired segment of, They Are Coming For Our Kids, efforts by a group of clergy members to shut down a drag show in upstate New York have failed spectacularly, leading to an outpouring of support for the 21-plus event. As local ABC affiliate Wham reports, Pastor Tim Lindsay of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Albion, New York, initially asked organizers to cancel a 21-plus drag brunch show set to take place October 1 at local event space The Lockstone. After they declined, Lindsay wrote an open letter co-signed by 23 other local clergy members and published it on OrleansHub.com. In the letter, Lindsay argued that the adults-only show would open the door to drag story hour events in the community which he characterized as inappropriate for children. We acknowledge the right of the organizers to hold this event and for people to attend, but we believe that its overall impact would be detrimental to our community, Lindsay wrote. One of our concerns is that the attempt to normalize drag queen events such as the one scheduled for October 1 is a precursor to prepare the community for further drag queen events, including drag queen story hours. Lindsay noted that members of the Rochester Drag Me to Brunch cast, which includes RuPaul's Drag Race alums Mrs. Kasha Davis and Doreen Lake, have participated in Drag Queen Story Hour events. Lindsay's letter was also posted on Facebook, 
where the overwhelming majority of comments were in support of the Drag Me to Brunch event. Love and acceptance is a virtue, practice it. You don't want to see drag performers, don't buy a ticket, one comment read. This is a 21-plus event, so where's the problem? It's entertainment people. I'm paying more attention to which pastors didn't sign it than did. Good for them, another user wrote. Keep me posted on when a story hour can happen too, I'd love to bring my kids, another comment read. And sell out they did. Wham reports that the event sold out within days of the letter being posted. It brought the attention to the surface, said Mrs. Kasha Davis. Next, an organization has found that three anti-LGBTQ plus groups are behind 86% of all book bans across the U.S. The groups all have right-wing Republican support and also advocate for other anti-LGBTQ plus school policies. Approximately 86% of all book bans across the nation have occurred in school districts, with a local chapter of one of three anti-LGBTQ plus groups, Moms for Liberty, Citizens Defending Freedom, CDF, and Parents' Rights in Education, according to a new report from the free speech organization P in America. According to their report, the groups have used a variety of tactics, including the promotion of state laws and rhetoric against so-called sexually explicit, harmful, and age-appropriate porn in schools, the taking over school boards, the enlisting of parents to threaten public pressure or civic penalties against school boards, educators, and librarians, and the filing of challenges to books, primarily those with racially and queer-inclusive themes. Moms for Liberty now boasts 284 chapters or local affiliates over 44 states. Citizens Defending Freedom claims 20 local affiliates, located primarily in Texas and Georgia. And Oregon-based Parents' Rights in Education has local affiliations in 15 states. Moms for Liberty has been fueled by right-wing funding and has ties to Republican politicians according to Media Matters. It has also been associated with both the Proud Boys and Gays Against Groomers, two extremist groups that have targeted school board meetings and drag events across the nation. In late September, beloved actor and LGBTQ plus ally LeVar Burton and over 175 other artists and authors signed an open letter encouraging people to fight back against anti-LGBTQ plus book bans that are sweeping the nation. And finally, in some ways, Brad Bergman and Mike Tarrant's relationship has been built on Legos. The husbands from Bellingham, Washington, are competing on Season 4 of Lego Masters, which begins airing Thursday night at 9 p.m., 8 p.m. Central on Fox. They're pretty sure they're not the first gay couple on the show, but they're glad to bring additional representation to it, along with a deep knowledge of what impressive structures can be created with the tiny plastic blocks. On the program, 12 teams of two people each compete for $100,000 and the title of Lego Master. This year they're facing such challenges as crafting a Lego build, as the creations are called, inspired by Cirque du Soleil, plus one depicting an explosive volcano. Also this season, for the first time, the winning build will be transformed into a set and displayed at a Lego flagship store. Like many modern LGBTQ plus people, 
Bergman and Tarrant first met online. Bergman sent Tarrant a message on a dating site on Christmas Eve of 2017, and Tarrant replied Christmas Day. Later, they met in person in Bergman's Lego shop. Bergman had worked in a toy store in California, where he created complex window displays such as a Lego advent calendar, then opened a Lego resale shop in Washington State. There he was able to sell the Lego sets, which can be expensive when new, at an affordable price, and have special events for children, including one especially for neurodivergent youth. It just kind of warms my heart to watch the kids, he says. Tarrant went into the store on several occasions, bought some items, and was impressed by Bergman's helpful and supportive interactions with customers. That led him to think Bergman might be husband material. We really kind of hit it off there, Bergman says. But he took it slowly about getting into a committed relationship, as he'd come off a difficult marriage. Tarrant proposed to him on Christmas Day a year after their first message exchange, but they didn't get married until Christmas Eve two years after that. The proposal made use of Lego. Tarrant created a Lego build of two figures, one handing the other a small object resembling a ring. But the object can also be used to represent a toilet seat in Lego builds, so Bergman was a little confused at first. Nonetheless, they did get married, in a ceremony shared with friends and relatives by Zoom during the pandemic. They moved cautiously into Lego Masters as well. They applied two years ago for season two, but Tarrant didn't think it would be good for their marriage, so they didn't pursue the matter. He agreed to the application for season four, which was accepted. Oh prepare, Bergman ran what he calls a, a Lego boot camp for his husband. Lego enthusiasts have specific names for the various parts of a build, and Bergman knew that for the show, it would be important for Tarrant to know all of those. And on the show, they had to deal with frequent interruptions by host Will Arnett and judges Amy Corbett and Jamie Burrard. Those three were always kind and supportive, but the contestants had to meet the challenge of maintaining their concentration amid the interactions. That experience helped hone our communication skills, Bergman says of the show and the preparation. Taryn adds, and we're still married. They weren't sure how the other contestants would react to a gay couple, but everyone was warm and accepting, they say, as were Arnett, Corbett, and Burrard. The host and judges were also respectful of every team's efforts. It's really a supportive environment, Tarrant notes. Thanks for listening to The Left of Straight Show. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast distributor and please give us a five-star rating so more listeners can find us. You can follow us on social media and be sure to check out our website, www.leftofstraightradio.com for contests and other news and information. See you next week.